You know, the stresses of life wear us out. If work, 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 work. Before you know it, you're taking it home with you. You're taking out the frustrations of the day against those that love you the most. You're tacking your kids. You're hurting people. Uh, how many know stress has a way of just making things worse and worse and worse? And how many know the longer you work without taking a break of rest and refreshing, the worse it gets? Let me say that again. The longer we work without taking a time to refresh ourselves, without taking a time to rest, the more the pressures of life begin to affect us and how we treat other people and how we behave. Well, the Bible has a solution or rather a prescription for the stress and the weariness that comes from work, whether it's through study in school or whether it's through labor in the workforce, whether it's mental or whether it's physical. The Bible's prescription is a regular rhythm of work and rest that we do those things that we are called to do, that we earn money in life, but that we take time to replenish ourselves with what the Bible calls R-E-S-T. Now, how many know these problems of stress in American society cause lots of pain and heartache? I mean, it causes divorce, it causes acts of family violence, all sorts of things. But the Bible will show us today that this stress or this pressure is not unique to America. This was going on right in the midst of the days of the disciples. If you want to look at Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to insert Matthew 14. It's actually two gospel accounts for the same story. And if you know, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospels will oftentimes tell the same stories in a little different way. Some will add a little bit, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as we look into the pages of the Bible, we see sometimes that there'll be a little nugget of truth that we can pick up from one of the other Gospel accounts. Well, Mark 6, 27, uh, Jesus... Uh, partner in ministry has been John the Baptist. I mean, they were born six months apart. Both of them had supernatural elements to their life. Uh, these guys were, 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 were both trying to advance the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was the forerunner, and he had the courage to tell King Herod that uh, he was in an immoral relationship. And guess what? He got thrown in prison. And that's where we interrupt the scene this morning is John the Baptist is in prison. Verse 27, immediately Herod sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man went and they beheaded John in prison. Now, the scripture then Matthew 14 tells us this. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Now, would you agree with me that that probably added to Jesus' stress level a little bit. Because Je uh, John the Baptist was simply doing the same thing Jesus is doing. And Jesus knows that one day he's going to give his life for the sins of the world. And John the Baptist has died. And I bet you Jesus the man was just a little bit stressed. What do you think? But let's keep going. Now the disciples who have been out on their first missionary journey. Jesus sent these 12 disciples out. And when he sent them out, think about this now. He said, I don't want you to take extra supplies. Don't take extra money, no hotel reservations. I just want you to learn to trust God, that God can supernaturally take care of you. Now, would you say that that's maybe a little bit stressful too? You're getting ready to go and you don't have the money you need. You don't know where you're going to get it. This is a first-time experience for you. Well, then they come back. They report to Jesus all they'd done and taught. And look at verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going that Jesus and the disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. Now, how many know that's busy? Uh, how many know, have you ever been too busy to even eat? I mean, work is just consuming and a couple hours ago, you wanted to eat, but I mean, you're just caught up in it. You do that every day or every week? Yeah. Well, anyway, and I want you to see now Jesus' prescription for this scenario that's filled or imbued with, with, with stress and, and busyness. 
Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a what? Quiet place and get some rest. Let's say that again. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, I want to suggest to you that that prescription for the stress and the busyness of life that Jesus gave his disciples are the same thing that we need in our lives today. That you and I, there's probably, at least in my lifetime, I have never been busier than I am now. Technology has made your life more stressful. Would you agree to that? My little phone has more sounds coming out of it than you can imagine. I've got, just like you, I've got sounds when somebody's calling. That used to be all you had. But now you've got sounds when somebody leaves a message. You've got sounds when a voice message. Uh, Facebook has a sound. Uh, emails have a sound. Everything's got sounds. And all day long, it's bang, 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 bang. And most of those people, you don't even know who they are. Or you didn't initiate the contact. But it's adding something to life. And particularly if you have a personality of of getting things done and being responsible, how many know it can become overwhelming in life? And this morning, I want to talk to you about this idea of the world that we live in today, about the rhythm of work and rest. We're going to learn what the the Bible says about something called work. But then we're going to see that the Bible doesn't just teach that we're supposed to just do something, more than just making a living. But there needs to be a regular rhythm of rest in our life. And we don't take it, we get in big trouble. So whether whether you make tires at Cooper Tire, whether you're, you're an architect and draw plans for a living, or whether you're a mom that has the privilege of staying home, how many know work is work? Whether you're a student that's in school, how many know the Bible says much study is the weariness of the flesh. So I want to challenge you the way that you're living your life right now. I've been doing some introspection in my own life, particularly the last couple years, but more so the last couple months, about how I just, it's, it's almost like when you get off work, you go home to work. You ever find yourself that when you leave work, you go home and you answer emails from work? Uh, there's someone that lives in my house. I won't call her name, but she's not here, so you might guess who she is. But on her day off, that girl is answering the phone, doing text messages, responding to emails, and I say, okay, superwoman, I'm going to take that thing and throw it away if you don't take a day to rest. Because if you don't learn to rest and incorporate the rhythm of rest into work, I mean, no, you could end up like the guy that we saw on the screen in the video today where your world starts collapsing around you and you're not the guy that you need to be. Praise the Lord. So let's look at the Bible as we talk about something as simple as rest and work and about how the rhythms of it make you a more effective person. Genesis chapter 2, let's first talk about work. Work is God's idea. Can you say that with me? Work is God's idea. Now, some people look at work like it's the gift of the devil. I mean, some people look at when you have to get up in the morning, it's you are going to go because the devil made you get up and you have to work for some demon-possessed person until you get off so you can live your life. I want to introduce a little different philosophy to you this morning about what the Bible would have to say about this thing called work. One you know very simply. Work, obviously, is something that you do to make money to be able to meet your needs, but there's something more profound that we'll look at. Genesis 2.15. If you are looking for answers in life, how many know it makes sense to go to the book of beginnings? The book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, tells us, for example, several weeks ago, we talked about marriage. We entered the debate on same-sex marriage in America, and we went to the Bible. We went to the book of beginnings in Genesis and saw what God thinks about marriage. And you'll find this morning that the Bible is, it will also speak to us about work. Genesis 2.15, God has created everything that's on the earth. God created Adam. He placed him in the Garden of Eden. And notice what it says, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to say it with me, too. 
to work and take care of it. First time work is mentioned in the Bible. Now, who's the employer here? God, yeah, he's, he's the boss. Uh, who's your boss? That's pretty profound. Your boss is not the supervisor at Cooper Tire. It's not the, you know, the surgeon in the OR. You may work in those locations, but let me tell you, Christian, God is ultimately your boss. And if you will see yourself in life not just working for people or working for money, but working for God, whether it's at Walmart, Hobby Lobby, or the train station, wherever you're working, it gives a different perspective to this thing. But Adam had a job to do. Adam's, Adam's responsibilities through the day did not include just looking at Facebook all day and hoping somebody sends you a message from Farmville, wherever that is. I hadn't, I hadn't responded to that one yet. But there's more to life than playing on the internet. There's more to life than just having fun. There's more to life than just getting by. There's something that, that, uh, that God has for us to do. Now, by de the definition of work, labor, it's employment. But listen, work is exerting your strength, your physical strength, or any mental energies towards completing a task. Very simply. Whether it's your physical energy or your mental capacity towards completing a task. And work, though, is, is bigger than this. Because the purpose of work is twofold. And number one, and perhaps the most important, is to give significance to our life. Now look, if you're thinking about lunch or something else, turn me back on right now because I'm going to help you with something. The main reason we go, to, we go to work is not just to make money, but it's to find significance for our life. Now hear me, Christian. How many know the Christian's life is lived hopefully like this? Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? You know, I'm a teenager. What, 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 what do you want me to do? What path do you want to lead me in? You're an adult, you've got kids, you lost your job or the company closed or it's time to go for an upward, an upward step. Lord, would you lead me to my next job? Would you show me where you want me to work? Would you open a door? This is bigger than the classified ads. It's bigger than getting on the Internet and just trying to find something for you to do to fill a few hours of life so you can get back to what you normally do or what you want to do. The work is where you put the greatest amount of your time and energies in this life. When your life is over and you're looking backwards and reflecting on your life, here's a question you're going to ask. You're going to say, what did I do with my life? And how many know if God sends you someplace, that work is an extension of your ministry? Your ministry is not just what you do by teaching a Sunday school class or going to the homeless shelter. Your life is your ministry if you're a Christian. And going to the job workplace is not just a place to make money, but going to the workplace is the place where you can, you can extend God's kingdom, where you can be the person God wants you to be, where you contact people, where you're able to share with them, pray for them, lead them to Christ. Uh, this is the under, undercurrent of the, uh, of the Scripture that work is a place for us to actualize our calling. Now, I mean, for the Christian, work may not stop at your 9-to-5 job. Work spills over into a ministry that you might have or a missions trip that you might go on. Whatever these things that we're doing, but where energy and time are required, collectively, they're called work. Uh, how many know when you retire as a Christian, you're still working? Now, stay with me because the world says, okay, you retire at whatever, at whatever, 65 or 62, whenever you retire, then it's over. You're done working. No, you're not done working. That doesn't mean, though, that you have to get a second job at Walmart or whatever the case for extra money, but it means the rest of your life, you're doing something with your life that God leads you to do that's productive in the kingdom of God. And that's very, very key so that when you get up in the morning, you're not just going to your job. You get up in the morning and you're going to serve the Lord. Now, now hear me, because I know some of you hate your job. If I were to ask the question, you'd be amazed at how many people would raise their hand and say, I, 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 I hate it. I don't like being there. 
if you would just simply come to grips with the fact, Lord Jesus, have you sent me to that place? And if you have placed me there, I'm going to work on my attitude till my attitude has some faith and expectancy in it rather than being a place of torture. And then when you get up in the morning, you're not just going to make a couple bucks. You're going to serve the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. That makes a difference. Now, the second thing, and you know this, the second thing, the reason we work is to earn money so we can take care of our needs. Now, stay with me on this one. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, If a man will not work... Tell your neighbor, no worky, no eaty. Now, that's the way it's supposed to be. But you know what? America has shifted in the last couple generations. Do you know what made America the envy of the world? Why people want to come to America? Why we have an immigration problem and immigration issues? Why people want to come here rather than leave from here? Because lots of countries in the world they're running away from. And as bad as America is today, people still want to come. My friend, it is largely the product of the Industrial Revolution, and it was the Protestant work ethic that created the wealth that you see in America today. It's the Protestant work ethic. Protestant, there's two arms of the church, Catholic and Protestant. This term was picked up by a, by a German uh, economist called Max Weber, uh, Adam Smith, the wealth of nations. And they recognized that it was the fact that people saw in the Scriptures, saw in the Bible, that the Bible calls us from Adam through the New Testament that the work is the productive thing that we do in our life, and that generates wealth. Now, and there was a time in America when everybody worked. There was a time in America when kids worked. How, how, many, were, how many were raised to work as a kid? Let me see your hand. Yeah, I, I was. I was raised on a farm. The problem, though, is America is a different place today. We don't have the Miller farm. And my kids are so busy doing everything from cheer to dance to ballet to blah, 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 blah. I don't even have time to teach them how to cut the grass sometimes. And we live in a world that has not instilled in a couple generations the value of work. And our government has changed its mentality from a system built on the individual's responsibility to care for themselves. And now the government says, well, I'll take care of you. And what it's done is it's created an entitlement mentality that somebody else is going to take care of me. Come on. Rather than God and I working together to earn my daily bread, I'm just going to look for somebody else. And if they decide they're not going to do it, I'm going to have a riot in the street. Now, now, now listen to me just a second. You know that I believe, as hopefully you do, that we are grateful to live in a nation that if I am truly, if I am unable to work, if I am truly disabled and cannot care for myself, thank God there's a system of disability in America. Thank God if I am truly poor and cannot work, or if I'm a part of the working poor and doing the best I know how to do but can't get ahead, thank God, uh, uh, food assistance, there's something in place to help me. But can I tell you, friends, we have taken it way beyond that in America. A good friend of mine said his mom lives a good middle-class life, uh, got a phone call out of the blue saying, hey, we'd like to give you a free cell phone. If you get any government assistance, doesn't matter what it is, if you'll just give us a number, we'll send you in the mail a free cell phone. She said, well, I don't. She said, well, can you tell me somebody that does because they're making commission of giving you just free stuff? Well, listen, now, I'm like you if an airplane flies over and they were to tell us that an airplane just flew over the church real low, dropping $100 bills, and they're falling all over the parking lot, we would dismiss for a few moments. We'd all run out there, and we'd pick them up, and then we'd come back to church. Come on, everybody say, yeah, sure, sure you would. You, some of you, I got a more hearty amen out of the $100 bills from the air than anything else I could say. Okay, but listen, at some point... Our government cannot pay off, forgive all your student loans. Come on. 
pay off your mortgage, and, and take care of you from cradle to grave. Here's the problem with socialism, is that, is that there's no nation on the earth that's ever done this effectively. Look around the world and you'll see every nation, Cuba, Venezuela. Look at Europe right now. Europe is falling apart. They're falling apart right now because they've promised cradle-to-grave care longer than we have. And what's happened is the world is just in trouble. And, and it becomes generational. It becomes systemic. And what's happened, if you allow yourself to buy into this, you will cap out in life. We have built our tax code around the fact that it's better to be two single people and live together rather than marry because you get more benefits if you're single. You'll get more money if you have another baby. Come on. I'm telling you, what it does, though, is it puts a cap on your life. When I ride to work, I go on this certain pathway, and I, I see this guy at all hours of the day. He's out there. I can tell he doesn't work. He's, he's an able-bodied guy. He's got money to buy beer, but he'll never get ahead in his life. Come on. And something happens, and it breeds in your heart. When you don't embrace the biblical value of work, you become lazy. Now, listen to what the Bible says about laziness. The Bible says about laziness, Proverbs 10, a lazy person will end up poor. Stop right there. See, because probably uh, uh, several of you are offended at me already. You think I'm, you know, whatever, some, some white guy in a suit. Well, I am a white guy in a suit, okay? I can't help that. All right? I'll wear blue jeans. If you come Saturday night, I'll wear blue jeans. But, 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 but just because I'm a white guy in a suit doesn't mean that I'm lying. I could be telling you the truth this morning that a lazy man will end up poor. So if you don't listen to me, just look at the Bible. Look it up in your own Bible. Look it up in Grandma's Bible. It's there. But it keeps talking. Proverbs 10, lazy people irritate their employers. How do you think your employer feels if you're sitting every time he comes in, you're checking your email and you're looking on Facebook? Come on. Why do you, th why do you think they have time clocks in America? To make sure people work and make sure they tell the truth. See, you cannot have enough external rules to control the wicked heart of man. And that's what's missing in America today is we've thrown out God's commandments and God's character. Come on. We've thrown out God, what, under, what, what gave people a heart to do what's right. And you can't make enough rules to make people do what's right. I'm preaching better than your amen this morning. Proverbs 12, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Now, let me help you if you're young in here. If you're under 20, raise your hand at me. Real big. I want you to listen to this this morning. Proverbs 24. The Bible says, work first and play later. Everybody say this. Work first, work first. and play later. play later. Proverbs 24, 27. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. The field is what produced their income. It was their career. Finish your work. Get your field ready. And after that, buy the HDTV. After that, get a new car. But don't get it when you get your first new credit card in the mail. Invest energies in your career first. Let other people be buying the $100 jeans that, you know, you can buy from the Goodwill when they get rid of them in a, in a few months. But let them buy them first. And you keep going to school, keep on-the-job training, keep going out and finding opportunities to develop yourself for a career so you're not just going from job to job. And then you have a career, and then you can buy a bigger HDT. You can even buy me one, too. See, life would just be, life would just be better. Now, okay, uh, uh, that's just some broad biblical teaching about something called work. Work is not a four-letter word. 
Well, it is a four-letter word, but it's not one of those four-letter words. Work is God's means for you to have significance and for you to meet your needs in life and for you to prosper and succeed. Now, but if work consumes us, our life gets out of balance. Now, let's go back to what we saw on the screen. If your work consumes us, you become tired and weary. Now, listen to this. It will affect your family life. It will affect your health. It will affect your creativity, your mental clarity, your physical stamina. If you just work, 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 like the, uh, uh, like the bunny. What was his name? The Energizer Bunny. Keep going and going and going and going. You are not created to keep going. And, a battery may be, but you're not created to keep going and going. You know, even Bible people had this struggle. Proverbs 30, verse 1, it says, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Proverbs 30, verse 1, I am weary and worn out, O God. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul the Apostle, I have done hard and tiring work, and many times I didn't even sleep. Now, can I tell you, you can do that for a little while, and you know that. And the older you get, the more you're aware of it. But the problem in America today, listen, most people I know are not just trying to make money because they're greedy. Most people I know are not just trying to work, 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 work because they're just materialistic or lovers of money. Most people I know that are just trying, that are working hard are just trying to get ahead. Just trying to pay the bills. And it's costing more and more and more to get ahead in life today. Come on. It's costing more and more just to stay even. I, I think somebody's lying to us when they tell us we don't have inflation because everything I pay for costs more. Now listen, you just go and buy a hamburger, you, buy, you go find a good hamburger and, and, and some french fries and, uh, and a drink, and what are you going to pay? You're going to pay more than six bucks. I'm coming to eat with you if you can find it. I've been to several hamburger places and they gave me a bill and it was ten bucks and I thought, what? This is a hamburger. And this is not a Dallas hamburger, this is a Texas hamburger. So, so, Life is costing more. Now, stay with me now. And what most people are doing is they're, is, they're, is they're working and then they're going home to work. And we're missing rest. We're not allowing ourselves to be replenished. And we get in a trap. Listen, and our kids need more and more. I've got a 12-year-old. I understand. Dad, I need money for band camp or cheer camp. And I want some new tennis shoes and blah, 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 blah. And every person that you know wants to give their kids, come on. Every one of us wants to do that. And there's not just these things that are just materialistic and extra. This is just living life in America today. And it creates a huge problem because your stress level and this thing called weariness is beginning to define your life. Now, open your heart and listen to what the Bible has to say for a few moments about rest. Rest is God's idea. And I've used the word rhythm this morning. God designed us to need rest after we work. Now, rest by definition is simply ceasing from mental and physical activities associated with work. It's turning it off. It's being quiet, being still. It's sleeping, a good night's sleep. It's being restored in your soul. How many go on vacation and after vacation you're tired of them when you left? It's a little out of sync to me here. I do it too because I'm preaching to myself. Genesis 2, verse 2, let's go back to Genesis, the book of beginnings. On the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and what's it say? He stop. Now, why would God need to rest? I can't explain that to you. But for six days He worked, and then He rested on the seventh day from all He'd done. And then, verse 3, He blessed the seventh day, and He made it what? 
He made it sacred. He set it apart, this day of rest, because on it God rested from all His work that all He had done in creation. Now, can I tell you this? If God needs to rest, don't you think you do too? If God had a cycle, a rhythm of work and then rest, I think we need it as well. Uh, Exodus thirty-one sixteen. In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed is like a breath of air. The Hebrew word literally means to take a breath, that it gives you freshness. It's like you're running a race, and after you run the race and you're tired, what do you do? You're breathing hard. What are you doing? You're taking a breath. You're trying to replenish the oxygen levels in your body because you've exerted yourself, and that's exactly whether it's a good night's sleep, whether it's a couple days of sleep, whether it's a nap, whether it's an afternoon of just kicking your feet back, whether it's a, a, a restful vacation, whether it's a recreation. I mean, you know, some recreation makes you tired and some is life-giving to you. I mean, I can get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go turkey hunting somewhere. And if we happen to see a, hunt, a turkey and hunt him, and, and, and actually I got a turkey on my back, I feel like a million bucks walking out of those woods. But if I get up at 4 o'clock every morning and go to work, I'm telling you, I am just down for the count. Let me ask you this question. How many love to do yard work? You just like working in the yard, seeing the flowers growing. So let me see your hand. All right, that's not work to you. How many hate it? How many would just take a beating rather than work? Then don't do yard work when it's time to rest. And I know you're thinking, well, when am I going to do it? I can't tell you that. All I want to do is put some pressure on you right now and tell you that you may need to make some changes in your life because you're going to end up like the guy on television, uh, the guy on the video, because stress and weariness will make you into an unrecognizable person. Now listen, the purpose of rest, and this is important too, the purpose of rest is to refresh us so we can re-engage our God-given work. Let me say it again. If your work is your calling, it's where God has led you, the purpose of your rest is not just to have fun, but it's to refresh you so you can re-engage what God has called you to do. Now, that's big. If you're living your life on purpose, because one day you're going to stand before God and He's going to say this, what did you do with what I gave you? Parable of the talents? You punch your neighbor and say, you're going to stand before God one day. Go ahead. Don't punch too hard, but hard enough to wake them up if they're nodding. And just tell them, you're going to stand before God one day. And a rested person will have a better answer on Judgment Day. Praise the Lord. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Now, let me ask you a question. How many believe the Ten Commandments were written by God? Inspired by God, written, you know, pen given to Moses. All right. How many believe the Ten Commandments are still relevant to us today? Amen. Then why do we only practice nine? Why do we skip over number four? I'm gonna t I think I can explain this to you today, or at least what's come to me is a clear understanding. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, this word Sabbath is not in the book of Genesis. It was introduced in Exodus by Moses when he wrote the Mosaic Law, when God gave him how the, uh, how the Jewish people were supposed to behave and how they were supposed to honor God. But this seventh day was called the Sabbath. Verse 9, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, strangers, anybody, nobody's to do any work. You know, even the, their land was supposed to have a year of rest. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. And he, what did he do? He rested on the seventh day 
And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the Bible says without holiness, no one will, will see the Lord. Uh, when it comes to our money, we often talk about the Scripture that says the tithe is holy. It belongs to the Lord. So if that portion of my money belongs to the Lord, why wouldn't a day, come on, belong to God? Now stay with me on this. Because this, this is, a, I, I, I think I understand the confusion, at least in my life. For the Jewish people, all the people, all the people on the earth were raised under Adam about there's a seventh day of rest. But in the Jewish world, it was made not only a day of rest, but it, it was included a day of worship. In other words, that was their day they went to church. It was the day that religious ceremonies were performed. And a whole series of laws emerged around this day of the Sabbath. In other words, what was work? You know they were told in Moses' day when they were eating manna off the ground that they were to pick up their, their, their manna six days, enough for the day, but on the Friday, which by the way, the Sabbath is Friday at sunset through Saturday at sunset. So actually those that came to church last night are way more spiritual than us today, okay? You can see that. No, now you're laughing, but I'm telling you, I know people that really genuinely believe that. Some of the godliest people I know are Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Baptists. I mean, they, they, they believe that that's the day of worship as well. This is one reason why there's some division in Christianity. And you know what? They could be right. I don't think so, and I, hopefully I can explain it to you, but they could be right. I mean, you know there's things in life, in the Bible, that are very, very clear. There's other things in the Bible that makes you scratch your head a little bit and you wonder, any of this culturally conditioned, any of this historically uh, contextualized, or is this something that is a universal principle? And that's one reason why we have so many different Christian denominations. So all these laws were surrounding the Sabbath. Uh, and, and then they would have their, their rabbis uh, give, answer some questions. How far can I, can I walk on the Sabbath day? If you've ever been through a neighborhood and you see it Saturday and Jewish people are walking to their synagogue, it's because they don't drive a car, uh, they, they don't cook on the Sabbath day. I mean, how far do we go in these things? And here's the problem. Uh, it makes it more complicated. In Paul's writings, Paul often wrote to defend a practice uh, or defend, rather, what had become a false teaching where people were trying to pull the Gentile Christians back into Judaism. And, you, for example, he said in Colossians, he said uh, he, he warned them about observing special days as a means of righteousness. So it's almost like it's easier for us to be pulled into legalism as Christian and rules. It's easier for us to say, you know, uh, it, it, we're all supposed to be modest. But have you ever been to a church that defined modesty by the way you dress your, your hair? Did you wear jewelry? Did you wear makeup? And how long your dress was? And when people come in the door, they don't look at your heart. They look at what's going on outside. Now, having no modesty is a good thing, but when it becomes a law, a rule, then Jesus would have to say, look, Pharisees, if your donkey is in the ditch on the Sabbath, are you going to pull it out? Come on. Preaching a little bit. This is a little bit confusing. Here's what I think has happened. I think we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Because clearly, it, you listen, you cannot argue the fact that there was not the responsibility laid on Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, that they didn't have to live under all the requirements of the Old Testament law. You can't argue that. I mean, it's just there. When the Jerusalem council, the apostles, the elders, all the bigwigs of the early church, when the Jew Gentiles came to them and said, how do we behave? They just gave them three things. They don't eat, you know, blood sacrifice to animals, and there were just a couple more. But all the laws that define the practicing Jew were not placed on the Gentiles, and we threw the baby out with the bathwater. We threw away a day of rest 
because genuinely we're freed from, from the rules. Let me ask you an honest question. You're pretty somber right now. How many like fried catfish and ribs? Let me see your hand. You could not be a good Jew. In your New Testament, you'll find that basically Paul said, look, anything is okay to eat. You just pray over it and thank God for it. You know what his big concern was? Uh, eating food sacrificed to an idol that causes somebody to stumble. Paul said, look, it doesn't bother me, man. I like ribs. Put some more sauce on it. I don't know that he said that. Okay, all right, I'll take that back. He didn't say that, but, but you know what I'm talking about. He said, basically, food is good to eat. Thank God that God's given it to you. But if it's been sacrificed to an idol, because a lot in their meat market, what would happen? The pagans would sacrifice food to idols, bring it to the meat market and sell it. And then if a, a, a Christian with a weak conscience would see it, well, you know, it would affect their faith. And Paul said, don't do that. So it's kind of a minefield that we walk through with this whole thing. But I want to suggest to you we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And how many know if Jesus tells us something, that how many know we should lay hold of that? And what did Jesus say after he'd gone through the grain field? And I'm going to wrap up this morning. He went through the grain field. They got some grain to eat. And what did the Pharisees say? Oh, you can't do that because that's work. And then Jesus said something pretty incredible. He said, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? It's not about the rules. The Sabbath was a gift from God to refresh, refresh and replenish you so that you could then re-engage your work as a person who's been rested. And I personally don't think it's, it, the issue is the exact time from Friday to Saturday, but it's the principle of rest as a part of your life. Listen, if, if, if either the Jewish Sabbath or the, or the, or the uh, Christian Sabbath... Sunday, if those were the day of rest, I'm telling you, I am missing it totally. Because I'll go home this afternoon, and I'll, after I eat, I'll crash, I'll crash, and I'll probably sleep three hours because the weekend wore me out, and I'll get up and get something to eat, maybe watch a little TV, and then I'll just go to sleep again and sleep all through the night. That's not much rest for me. But the principle of rest, I'll rest on Monday. I'm telling you, I don't know when your day off is, but somewhere you need to find a day to refresh yourself so you can be renewed, so you can do the work God's called you to do. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. This will be on our Internet in a day or two if you want to go back and listen to it, read the notes. But uh, I, I've really taken this seriously, and I've really been trying to learn about this, uh, particularly the last couple of years, the church circle I've been, been becoming a part of. And uh, I, I've become convinced that there's value in something, not just the, a weekly Sabbath, but a sabbatical, a time of rest. We call it a vacation, but you know what? I have rarely taken any vacations in the last 20 years I've been here that I didn't have an obligation attached because my parents live in Mississippi and Lonell lives in California. And I may know you love your folks, but oftentimes you go back and you enter into the problems of your folks. And it's not much rest if you feel guilty as a son because mom has been neglected 300 miles away. Are you with me? Or you feel like you're, you know, you abandon your parents or whatever. At least that's what, what kind of gets on my shoulders. A couple, oh, a couple months ago, I sent Pastor Mike on a, on a month sabbatical. He's been here 23 years just to get away and just rest. And we blessed him as he went. My wife and I are going to do that same thing. This is going to be our last Sunday for a couple weeks. We're going we're gonna to take five weekends and, uh, and just get away and just rest. And, uh, and not worry about anything. If you get in trouble, if you need to talk to me, please call me. My phone number is 903-777-7777. Seven. Seven. Just keep dialing those sevens. Just kidding. Seriously. 
We have a great team of people that's going to be here in our church. Our church is good. It's healthy. It's strong. Pastor Mike is here. I don't, I don't see him right now. Pastor Mike, you in the building? All right. Well, anyway, he's going, to be, he's going to be functioning as the lead pastor in my absence. We have some great elders. I want our elders, if you're here, to stand. Any elders, any pastors that are here, Brother Fred and others, go ahead and stand. Any elders that are here, uh, we've got pastors, Pastor Travis, Pastor Joe, Pastor Mike. We've got board members, uh, uh, good people, Rick Doty, Rick Halter, uh, Brother Ike. They're good people to be here. And we've got some great things planned for you as well. You've been seeing that little man church we're going to do. That's the first for us on Father's Day. Uh, we're going to have a professional athlete come in and have a great Father's Day testimony. Just kind of make it a man's day. Uh, we'll have a pastor, one of the gateway pastors, come in one of the weekends. Pastor Mike will be preaching. You're going to have good ministry here in the life of this church. And I will encourage all of you this summer, I hope you can take a great vacation. I hope you're able to rest, to get away, to have some fun, to connect with your family. But listen, when you're in town, don't take a vacation from God. Don't take a vacation from your church family. Come and be a part. Support your church. You know, be a part. Uh, activate yourself. Serve and keep the body of Christ strong. Praise the Lord. And Lord willing, we'll be back in a few weeks and uh, we'll be able to be here and be strong for you for the next 10 or 15 years. And Lord willing, I'll hand the baton over to somebody else when my days are done here. But I don't know about you, but I, don't want, I want to finish strong. I don't want to be a statistic. And I don't want to end up like the guy on the television did. Come on. Because my family and everybody else suffered because the stress and weariness of life became overwhelming. God worked seven days and he rested. And if he needed it, I need it too. You need it too. Take the advice of Jesus. When John the Baptist had been killed, the disciples had been busy working hard. There's so many people they didn't know what to do. Jesus said, hey guys, come with me. Go to a quiet place and let's rest. Well, let me know that's real good advice. Give the Lord one last hand today. We want to close in prayer this morning. It's always a proper thing to pray. You may have some very personal needs in your life today that you brought to church. I want to encourage you before you slip out of the building, let somebody else that's taking God's hand in prayer in your hand stand in the gap for you. We'll pray with you for anything and believe God. You know, the Holy Spirit works through prayer. If you were here last week, you remember that the word the Holy Spirit gave me was about praying for people, or two weeks ago, about people that needed a job, issues on their job. Somebody came up to me this morning and said, I was there, I went up for prayer that day. Guess what? God's given me a job since then. Listen, prayer works. Prayer works. We'll pray for any need you have in your life. We'd be honored to pray with you. It'd be our privilege. Maybe you're here today and your life's not where it needs to be with God. Maybe you're, you're not even a Christian. Maybe you need to commit your life to Christ today. Maybe you've wandered away from your Christian faith. You need to come back. Let somebody pray with you and make that commitment. But listen to this. I really feel that there's people that are here today that after listening to this message, you agreed with what we talked about. You agreed with the principle of work. And you know what? You could be a, a lazy person. Your home may be entrapped by that entitlement. And you may want to pray for somebody that helped me get out of this thing. That God would show me what I need to do. Listen, friends, he can or you may be here this morning and, and maybe that weariness thing, maybe you're honest enough to say that, man, I'm just tired and stressed, but my problem is I don't know what to do. I'm just spinning plates in every direction trying to get out. I need God to show me a way out. How many know God can do that? God can help us simplify a complicated life. So whatever your needs are this morning, let somebody pray with you. We'll sing one song and then you'll be dismissed. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. Our prayer team is going to come right now. And if you need prayer for anything, just slip out of your chair this morning and let somebody touch heaven with you today. Listen, I love you and God bless you.
standing on this mountain top, looking just how far we've come. No.